A reading from Matthew 21, 1-11. When they had come near to Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent his two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! Then he entered Jerusalem. The whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Holy wisdom, holy words. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of our hearts and minds be ever acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. One of my earliest memories is as a child being taken to Brighton Beach by my grandparents, there to see the donkeys and the people walking and using the donkeys. No dignity. It was always very ungainly, and I remember always laughing at the people as they nearly fell off. If you want to be dignified, if you want to appear dangerous, don't use a donkey. The trouble with our gospel story is that it doesn't tell us some of the things that we really need to know. It assumes that we have the same knowledge that the earliest readers would have had. Matthew was writing for a Jewish audience who had been dispersed from Judea by the Romans following the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. The early readers would have been all too familiar with what it had been like living under occupation controlled by the Roman soldiers and their collaborators. They would have known that on the Sunday before the Passover celebrations, that Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was not the only procession going into the city. Jesus was entering Jerusalem from the northeast via Bethany. However, the Roman soldiers were coming in from the northwest, hundreds of them, indeed possibly thousands. The main camp for the Romans was at at the coast at a fortified town called Caesarea Maritima, where they could avoid disease, but primarily where they could stay away from any acts of violence, throat slitting and stabbings from the downtrodden subjects of the lands that they occupied. However, those troops were there to prevent a further uprising, to quell sedition and keep those they subjugated in their place. The one big flashpoint in the calendar, when there was the greatest chance of an insurrection, was the festival of Passover, 
when the peoples remembered their liberation and freedom from oppression. The Romans would leave their stronghold in a conspicuous display of might to advance on Jerusalem in the hope of nipping any unrest in the bud. On that day, therefore, two processions entered Jerusalem. Pontius Pilate at the head of the one from the northwest, Pontius Pilate the inveterate handwasher, protected by crack legions with all the latest military kit as they march into Jerusalem. At the head of the other procession comes Jesus from the northeast, bestride one, or according to the text, rather miraculously, two donkeys. His followers are armed with leafy branches and the clothes they stand up in. I always wonder how Jesus' followers are feeling at this moment. Are they viewing him as the political liberator they've been searching for, the crowd gatherer who will lead them to a military victory over their oppressors? Is this, as far as they are concerned, a march on Jerusalem to confront their Roman occupiers? Are they getting ready for a fight? And if so, how on earth are they going to protect Jesus with no weapons? Are they afraid? Are they excited, believing that Jesus has a strategy to deal with the political situation? Have they understood him and his ministry at all? Are they frightened? Are they scared? Are they not sure what the future holds? Are they aware, truly, of the hidden dangers just around every corner? Are they really thinking that actually it would make more sense to stay away from Jerusalem and its crowds at such a dangerous time. Better to remain at a distance in the countryside than provoke the Roman and religious authorities who are collaborating with their enemies. Maybe they are worried that they are embarking on a fight with a well-prepared army when all they have are some sticks to wave. The Romans have swords, spears and shields to protect them the only equipment Jesus has is a couple of donkeys, and as the Americans might phrase it, the only thing he has covering his ass is an ass. Jesus knows that there is no hope militarily. He also knows that whilst they are committing a serious injustice, the Romans are children of God as well. They need to be educated in their morality, and their oppression and damage that they are causing needs to be transformed. Therefore, fighting, in a violent sense, is off the menu. He knows the lessons of Frankie Goes to Hollywood 1,957 years earlier than they do. When two tribes go to war, a point is all that you can score. But still, the Romans need to be challenged. They need to be educated. Their injustice needs to be embarrassed. So Jesus places himself and his followers in danger. He confronts the authorities with the absurdity of their position. Of course the Romans will resort to violence. It's their natural instinct. They have caused so much injustice, why would they ever stop? They are frightened, and so he responds with the only way he can. He goes into the capital city on a donkey to take on their crack legions. A man on a donkey with his friends waving palm branches is not a riot, it is not a threat. 
and yet five days later he is killed as an enemy of the state, the greatest threat to the Roman Empire. Why, what hath my lord done? What caused this rage and spite? He made the lame to walk, he gave the blind their sight. Injustice must be challenged, evil confronted, tyranny ridiculed, until those who carry it out are confronted with their own humanity and compelled to change. Jesus is prepared to fight their malevolence and violence with absurdity. But the kind of fighting that he offers requires courage, the greatest of courage, to realise that there is no cause worth killing, but there might be causes worth dying for. Jesus asks of his followers that they acquire this courage as they go into a period of danger and fear. The only thing they will know is that he will not run away. He will go with them through that turmoil and peril and despite them if needs be. Jesus' values are for a different kingdom than we have at the moment. His is a value of a kingdom that needs to be established beyond the political realities of the day. In his kingdom, the sick and the vulnerable will, re will receive protection, the homeless will be housed, the frightened comforted, the hungry fed, the humble lifted high. And these are the tasks of the people of God. Not to wallow in our own fear, but to do that which we know to be right. For there's another country I heard of long ago, most dear to them that own her, most great to them that know. We may not see her armies, we may not see her king. Her fortress is a faithful heart, her pride is suffering. And hour by hour and silently, her shining bonds increase, and her ways are ways of gentleness, and all her paths are peace. That is the kingdom that Christ comes to establish. That is the kingdom of which he calls us to be a follower. Do we have the courage? Do we have the faith to transcend our own fears at this time? The followers of Jesus, I think, must have been aware of the costs that they were going to be asked by Jesus to adhere to. Would they have the strength to go with Christ into the uncertainty, the unknown, the present dangers? All they could know was that Christ would be with them, that he would go with them into the darkest rooms, and that he was willing to suffer so that they would not be alone in their fears. May we seek out the lost, the scared, the grieving and the vulnerable. May we be sources of hope in our own community. May we walk with Christ into the unknown. And may we have courage this day and throughout this week to walk with Christ and not to fail him as we challenge our own fears, insecurities and weakness. Let us be of good heart. It is in the challenges and the testing times that we work out who we truly are and what our faith really means. God is not abandoning us. He is walking ahead of us into the unknown so that we too can walk with him with courage and defiance this week. So may God help us to know his purpose this week and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>